right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we did restart because we're not sure if the, if the sound was working okay, so hopefully this is a go. But at the same point in time, uh, again, welcome to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we are going to be continuing our teaching this morning on the four prayers of Paul. Just so you know, all of our teachings and the Bible studies are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. And we will be having our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. And as well as our on Effortless Strength. Excuse me, let me just start over with that. We'll have a Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. And again uh, on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock by Andrew Womack, also entitled The Believer's Authority. Okay? And so, uh, again, all of our teachings are, are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Excuse me. Uh, hopefully I'll do better when I'm teaching here in a moment. But at the same point in time, we also want to say thank you to those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And just so you know, in order to do so, <coughs> you can write out all the information on our website, Lighthouse Discipleship at lighthousediscipleship.org and uh, you go to our give page to give online and our mailing address is on the footer of every page uh, and so you can uh, give us our your donations that way. Just so you know, all of your donations here in the U.S. are tax deductible. We are a 501c3 church and so we uh, thank you for that. Well, without further ado, no more announcements, whatnot, we're just going to go ahead and jump right into our message this morning on the four prayers of Paul. Now, I mentioned every week that Paul has prayed more than four prayers. I'm, I just titled this the four prayers of Paul. Maybe I should have taken up a the, you know, the definite article there. But these are four prayers that I have uh, really just chewed on and, and meditated on through my life. I value them. I uh, use them in ministry all the time when people were asking me to pray for them, and I don't know exactly how to pray. Well, I'm going to pray how Paul prayed. But one of the greatest things I get from these four prayers is that, see, I see, I recognize that I am where I am today in my walk with God because of Paul. And I also realize that most of the church today have a saving relationship with God because of the letters of Paul. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, most of us have the revelation that we have of God, of Christ, of, the, of, of everything God wants us to have a revelation of because of the letters of Paul. And Paul has also uh, been entitled as Apostle of Grace. And so in many ways, he hasn't been my pastor. He is an apostle, and he hasn't lived in my lifetime. But I have gleaned in my own life and my own ministry because of Paul's influence in my life. And when Paul writes out his prayers, specifically these four prayers that we have highlighted in this teaching, I'm hearing Paul's heart. And there's something that Paul wants us as a church to understand and to get and to walk in. And it behooves us to, I believe, study and understand and appropriate the things that Paul is wanting us to get. I'm hearing Paul's heart in these prayers as an apostle and an apostle of grace in these last times in this church age that you and I find ourselves living in. Okay? Hopefully that makes sense. For the last two weeks, we, and the four prayers that we're highlighting in this, in this teaching, are from, two of them are from Ephesians 
Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, and then also uh, in Philippians and Colossians. Last, the last two weeks, the first two weeks of the series, we're in part three right now, today, we, we talked about the, the prayer, in, uh, but the first two weeks we talked about the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. Today we're going to start highlighting the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. You're going to find out in today's message that we're going to really kind of, the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 1 are obviously in the same epistle. They're in the same letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And so, and it's only two chapters later, so it's it's in the same context, it's in the same heart, and so it's really a continuation of what he already said in Ephesians chapter 1, which we've highlighted in the last two weeks. Okay? So you, today I'm going to kind of bridge between the two prayers. <coughs> we're going to look at the prayer, but then we're going to spend more of the time highlighting the specific prayer next week. And then in the following weeks, we'll go to Philippians and Colossians. But today, again, we're going to be highlighting Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll be highlighting more of the context around the prayer. But before we get started, before we get too in-depth, we're going to uh, let's go ahead and read this prayer. And then we're going to get more detail on this prayer next week. Uh, but I'll be highlighting some things. Hopefully that makes sense, okay? So here in Ephesians chapter 3, let's go ahead and read the prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So... Paul prayed, and I want to highlight some things in this prayer. Like I said, we're going to highlight some things around this prayer, in the context of this prayer. But I want to highlight some things. We'll come back to this at the end, and then we'll also spend more time in detail on these things I'm going to highlight next week. Okay? Paul prayed in this prayer, the second prayer that we're highlighting in this series. The second prayer that we're highlighting in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. Paul prayed that we would... Be granted spiritual strength by the Spirit. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into this a lot more deeper next week. But he prayed that we would be granted spiritual strength by the Spirit. Okay? In other words, verse 16 says, That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. We'll highlight a lot of this more next week. Paul also prayed that, we, that Christ might make his home in our hearts by faith. I gleaned this from verse 17, which we'll deal with later. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay? So again, let me go back. That Christ might make his home, he might make his abode in our hearts by faith. We'll, we'll talk about this more next week. Okay? And Paul also prayed that through being rooted and grounded in love, we would comprehend to, to get revelation knowledge. 
Okay, I glean this from verses 17 and 18. Together, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height. I'm going to this a little fast because we're going to deal with this in more detail next week. I'm kind of telling you the preview of what we're going to talk about next week, and then we'll get we'll get into this week's message. So that's why I'm going through this part a little fast. Okay, Paul also prayed that by experiencing Christ's love, we would be filled with the fullness of God. Okay. Verse 19, one of my favorite verses, especially in this prayer, that we would know the love of Christ with passive knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he concludes the prayer by saying, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask for, that we ask for, think according to the power that works in us, and most of us quote this all the time. And we're going we're gonna to take this verse in context of the prayer, and in context of what Paul has been writing in the book of Ephesians. And then, uh, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Kind of the same way he concluded uh, the prayer of Ephesians chapter 1. He talks about the church again here in Ephesians chapter 3. Okay. So I, I went through that a little fast. We went through the prayer twice already. Like I said, we're going to go to detail the prayer itself next week. But I'm going to be looking at the context of this prayer this week. I'm kind of bridging the first prayer we talked about in Ephesians 1 the last two weeks with this prayer with my message today. And you're going to see why here in just a second. In verse 13, backing up uh, several verses, Paul says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, but which is your glory. Paul wrote this while he was in, in jail, while he was in prison. And he was telling his followers, don't lose heart because of my tribulations. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a minute. But Paul, Paul's purpose in this prayer, you know, Paul's purpose in what he's saying here, Paul desired that they would not be discouraged because of the things happening to him. And he follows what he just said in verse 13 with a prayer. He follows that desire with a prayer for their strength and fullness. Okay? I'm hoping making sense. I'm going to tie this all together. I'm going a little fast. I'm going to slow down here in just a moment. Okay? See, in verse 14, the beginning of the prayer, Paul makes this phrase, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in order, we, can, we, can, we can study the prayer, and we will, and we will study the prayer next week in a lot of detail. We're talking about the fourth prayers of Paul. But I also, for us to not only understand the prayer, but we need to understand the reason he prayed. And if we're going to <coughs> capitalize on the reason why he prayed this prayer, we need to go backwards and find out why he's praying this prayer. I don't know about you, the prayer itself is powerful, but when we when we do when we connect the, the powerfulness of this prayer with the reason why he prayed it, it's gonna be even more powerful. Okay? Remember back in the first prayer, there's a revelation that Paul wants us to get. There's a reason why Paul's praying these two prayers, and specifically this prayer that we're highlighting in this portion of our study. Okay? So we're going to be highlighting pretty much this, this morning, this entire message is talking about the reason why he prayed this prayer, and next week we're going to talk about the prayer. Does that make sense? And I, I, I just, I can't escape this. I, I think... If we're going to understand, one of the reasons why we're studying these prayers is so we can understand the heart of Paul. There's something that Paul wants us to get. 
And there's something that Paul's been saying. We're in chapter 3. But there's something Paul's been saying in chapters 1, 2 in the same letter. We have diced it into chapters and verses. But when Paul wrote it to Ephesus, they didn't have chapters and verses. I'm okay with chapters and verses because they give us a reference point so we can find things. But let's not take the context. Let's not take the text out. Let's not take the prayer out of the context. Let's find out why he prayed this reason. There's a reason why he's bowed his knee to the Father and he prays this prayer over us, including the Church of Ephesus. Okay, you follow me so far? That's where we're going. I laid out the roadmap for this week and next week, and so let's dive into this. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of this chapter. We'll start with verse 2. <coughs> and Paul says, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God by which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as had briefly been written already. Paul had already written in this chapter, we talked about this last week, about a mystery that had been made in us. There's a revelation, there's a mystery that needs to be revealed to us. I'm, I'm going to come back to this real quick, but let me back up even further to the beginning of verse 2 here, okay? If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, let's highlight just that phrase just for a moment, Okay? Let's talk about this word dispensation, okay? It's used four times in the New Testament, and it's translated stewardship three of those four times, okay? The uh, revised, uh, the RSV translation, I forget exactly uh, uh, what its name, but I believe it's the revised standard version, but I could be wrong. But the RSV translation says it this way, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Remember the definition of dispensation can also be stewardship. Well, this translation uh, uses that word. There's a, there's a stewardship of God's grace. Peter highlights this, that we, that we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Paul was given the grace, we've been given God's grace, and we need to be good stewards of that. Okay? But Paul, in this context, says, assuming that you have heard of the, the, the stewardship of God's grace... That was given to me for you. Okay? In other words, Paul was dispensing an understanding of God's grace. In this letter, in this prayer, to this church, and to us at the church at large, Paul is dispensing an understanding of God's grace. I wish I could talk to you online and I would ask for an amen there. Okay? Let's, let's take this a little further. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, Paul, for you. Who? Who's you? You. The church. Okay? Specifically the church of Ephesus, but we are also the church of Jesus Christ, what Paul has been talking about. Jews and Gentiles, we are the church of God. Okay? The revelation of God's grace was given to Paul to give to us. We need to understand that. That's very powerful, okay? It might sound like it's just a, 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 an obvious point, but sometimes we skim through the obvious points, and we don't get the message, okay? Taking this together, if you have heard of this dispensation of the grace of God which was given to you, to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, Okay, he's already been writing about this. When did he write about that? Well, that's what we talked about the last two weeks from 
uh, we talked about this revelation, the mystery, that the truth, we said this last two weeks, right? this is a slide from last two weeks, the truth of God are, are only mysterious to those who do not soften their hearts. We talked about a hardened heart last week. The opposite of a hard heart is a soft heart. Okay? We, we also said the truth of God's word are hidden for his children, but they're not hidden from his children. God is not hiding his truths from us, but they are a mystery to those who don't know God. Okay? When did he say this? He said this in chapter, chapter 1, which we talked about the last two weeks. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Colossians says it this way, the mystery which has been hidden from all ages and from generations. But now, when's now? Now. But now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is the riches of this mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul, this, this mystery was hidden from all ages, but now is being revealed to us. This, the riches of his glory is being rich, revealed to us. And what is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. <coughs> in other words, the mystery can only be known by divine revelation. Remember when Peter had the revelation that Jesus was the Christ? Jesus said, this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit of God. There's some truths, and especially the truth of the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the riches of God's grace, can only be revealed to you by divine revelation. In this context, this mystery was revealed to Paul, and Paul, as an apostle, is revealing that mystery to us, the church. In Galatians, Paul says it this way, For I neither received from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The mystery can only come by the revelation of Christ. It can't come to you. A non-Christian cannot reveal to you the mysteries of God's word. God's truth, okay? Let's go back. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written to you already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul's encouraging people to read his letter. And not just pick and choose. Read the whole letter. Because he says, I read, there's a revelation that's been made known to me, that I'm supposed to give to you, and I have briefly written already, see the parentheses, as I've written to you already, by which when you read, you may understand. There's something Paul wants us to understand. We talked about this last week. My, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul, God, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, because God, through the Holy Spirit, rebuilt it to Paul to give it to you. There's something that God, the Godhead, the Trinity, through Paul, wants us to read so we can understand and receive the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. In other words, I can make it simple. There's one thing that God wants us to understand, and it's the mystery of Christ. Paul's rebuilt it to Paul, who's revealing it to us. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Paul said that through the reading of his words, the mystery could be understood. 
when you read God Paul's words to the church, you can understand the mystery of the gospel. You can understand the mystery that has been hidden for all generations, but is being revealed now to this church. Okay? Let's go, let's go back to our prayer last week. That God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Where? In the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. It is through the reading of the Word and the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit that Christ and His fullness is known. I want to read that again because that's a mouthful. It is through the reading of the Word, a relationship with God's Word, and the enlightenment of the Spirit, Christ in His fullness is known. Jesus said, you should, uh, um, I'm combining two, in my mind, I'm combining two references. But He said, apart from me, you can't do nothing. But when we know his word, we will bear fruit. I'm, I'm paraphrasing uh, right now John 15. But we need a relationship with the word. One, one thing Sherry and I have emphasized a lot in this church is because we call ourselves Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We're big on discipleship. We need to read the word of God, especially the letters of Paul, and we need to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. I gave him testimony before how when I was in my sophomore year in high school, God began to teach me how to study His Word. And one of the ways that God told me to study His Word, He said, I don't want you to just read it. He said, I want, I want you... I, I, I grew up, my parents taught me well to read the Word of God. But sometimes I was just reading the Word of God to appease my parents. <laughs> you know? If mom and dad are happy, everybody's happy. Okay? Uh, as a child, that's the, that's the case anyway. But... But God was teaching me to read the word for myself. And not just read it as a chore, but read it because I want to be enlightened. And he told me, before I was in my sophomore year in high school, and God told me, when you, before you read, I want you to say, Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me understand your word. Okay? And, uh, and so, uh, we need to read the word, but we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten us about the word. So that Christ in his fullness is known. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for they testify of me. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples after the resurrection, he, re he expounded on all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures from Genesis to Maps, to the book of Revelation, all the scriptures testify of Jesus. Okay. Let's go back to Ephesians. Which is in other ages was not made known. It wasn't made in other ages, but it's been made known in the church age. To the son, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has when? Now. When's now? Now. Okay. But as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. What is Apostle, and there's many definitions to that, but one of them is they're a messenger. And they are giving us a message. What message? The message of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's been revealed by the Spirit in these last days in the church age. It wasn't revealed by the Spirit in other ages, but the, the Spirit of God has been poured out upon all flesh to reveal to us the mystery of the gospels 
you know, even going back to the road to Emmaus, after they arrived, and after Jesus had appeared to them, appeared to Thomas, and so he could, he could touch his, the, the, the nail prints in his hands and the, the, his pure side. It wasn't until then that God began to open their understanding so they could understand the scriptures. And, you know, and there's been a lot of mystery in the scriptures, but in the but the Spirit of God does not want it to be a mystery to you. The first thing you have to do is become born again. But once you become born again, the Holy Spirit's job is to enlighten you to the Spirit, if you, uh, to, the, to, to the Scripture, so you can know Jesus, if you are willing. Okay? So, why, in other words, why wasn't this mystery revealed in the Old Testament, in other ages? Okay? Uh, why wasn't this mystery revealed? Why wasn't this truth revealed? Same thing, but different terminology. Because they were not born again. We have to realize there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. I'm not. There, 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 I, there's a whole other teaching on this. Paul brings this out, especially in the Book of Romans, how they're, they're saved now, but they were not. They were not born again then. Jesus brings this out in his teachings uh, that how people were in Abraham's bosom. Until 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 uh, Jesus died and rose again. Okay, I believe they're born again now, but they weren't then. And Paul teaches on this in the Book of Romans. That's not in our teaching this morning. Okay, but Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus did teach Nicodemus. He said Jesus answered and said to him, Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Luke that the kingdom of God is not here or there, but the kingdom of God is within you. Okay? And that the kingdom is to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. But unless you're born again, not can, you, you can't see the kingdom. And there's mysteries of the kingdom. And you can't see them. You can't behold them. You can't even enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Okay? Revelation knowledge comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from Paul. It comes from Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, it makes sense with that. Okay? Paul says this in Corinthians. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If you're not born again, you are spiritually discerned. I'm not picking on you. I'm not being mean to you. I'm just, if you don't know the truth, you can't be set free. You need to know the truth, okay? And so, one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is to give us understanding. In the parable of the sower, you'll find the parable of the sower in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels, okay? And so, but in the parable of the sower, we got the seed of God's word being sown on four different kinds of soil. All four soils heard the word of God, but only the good soil understood the word of God. Understanding God's word is essential. It's important, but it's the Holy Spirit's job as our teacher to teach us and so we can understand the scriptures. Those who do not, those who do not have the Holy Spirit cut off revelation knowledge. And those who do not yield to the Holy Spirit also cut off revelation knowledge. Okay? If you have, let's go back to Ephesians here. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, had a by revelation, revelation of who? The Holy Spirit, he made known to me 
the mystery, as I've briefly already written, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. What is being, re what is being revealed now by the Holy Spirit? That's the question. What's being revealed right now? Because there's something that is supposed to be revealed right now by the Holy Spirit through his apostles and prophets. What's being revealed? You call yourself a prophet, then there's something you're supposed to be revealing. Okay? What, uh, what is being revealed? Are you revealing your gift? Or are you revealing Christ? Okay? If you're, you don't need, if you're a prophet, you don't need to tell me you're a prophet. You will, I'll know you're a prophet because of what you prophesied. Okay? Ephesians 3 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow. This, this is what's being revealed now by the Holy Spirit. That the Gentiles, that's us, that's you and I. I know some of us, some might be Jews who are watching, maybe that might be the case. But that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. I want to read this again a little slower. What's being revealed now by the Holy Spirit? Okay, going back verse 5. There's something being revealed now by the apostles and the prophets, by the Holy Spirit. What's being revealed? <coughs> that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. With who? The Jews. Of the same body. Paul talked about this in Ephesians 1. In the prayer of Ephesians, we are one. Jews and Gentiles, we are one body. We're not a Jewish body and a Gentile body. We are one body. Jesus did not have two bodies. He had one. Same body. And partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. We're going to break this verse apart a little bit. Believers are not only united to Christ, but believers are also united to one another. That's a major teaching we teach in this church. We are the body of Christ. We are united to Christ, yes, but we are also united to one another. You cannot be united to Christ and be divided from one another. That's like my body being united with my head, but I tell, my, I, I tell a part of my body, you cannot be connected with me. You have to form your own body. That's, that's ludicrous. That's just stupid. Sorry for being blunt, but, you know, my body is, I don't have two bodies. I'm a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. But I have one body. I'm united to Christ, which is the head, but I'm also united to one another. My body doesn't function well if the whole thing doesn't work. Okay? The body of Christ doesn't function well if it's not united with Christ and with one another. Okay? That's why John says, how can you say that you love God but you hate your brother? You are a liar, and the truth is not in you. Because that's false. You cannot love God and hate your brother. That's like loving your head but hating your body. That's, again, foolishness. You see, Gentiles did not become Jews. When they became born again, they didn't become a Jew. No. Jews and Gentiles became part of the body of Christ. That's, the, that's part of the mystery of the gospel that Paul's been revealing in all his letters, not just here in this prayer. Okay? Let's go back. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Not just Jews, but Gentiles also. And not just Gentiles, but Jews also. Okay? 
and partakers of his promise in Christ. Where? Through the gospel. We became part of the body of Christ through the gospel. Okay? What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. That's what the word means. What good news? The, the gospel is, is also, it's the good news of the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. In its simplest form, the gospel is the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're teaching me something else, it, you know, there's a lot of people who are preaching what they call the gospel, but it's bad news. You know, you're going to hell. If you don't have Christ, you're going to hell. That is true. That is factual. That is true. But that's not the gospel. There's nothing good about that. Jesus came, going backwards, he came, he died, he was buried and resurrected and ascended so that you don't have to go to hell. That's good news. If you reject it, that is bad news. That's not the gospel. That means you rejected the gospel. You rejected Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says the gospel is not a it, it's a who. The gospel is a person. His name is Jesus. Okay? When I say the gospel is a who, I felt like I'm talking like Dr. Seuss. The it's a who. Okay? It's not an it. Okay? Now there's many things that we can teach on the foundation of the gospel. We can teach about marriage. We can teach about finances. We can teach about a lot of things. But the foundation is the gospel. Some of those things are are important, but they're not essential. The gospel is essential. If you don't have your finances in order, you can still go to heaven. But the gospel can help you get your finances in order. Can help you get your marriage in order. Can help you in every area of your life. But the most important thing is the gospel. Okay? Essential. You know, if we had to call 911 on somebody... And the paramedics came, or EMT, however you call it, maybe in your country. The first thing they're going to do is check your vital signs. Make sure your heart's beating. Make sure you're breathing. Everything else is almost non-essential. It might be important. You might have to amputate a, a, a leg or an arm or different things, medically speaking. But that's not essential. It's important. I think it's important to have everything God gave us in our bodies. But if you don't breathe and you are not don't have a heartbeat, you you, you will die. And there's some other things that can, can that can prevent your heart from beating and your breathing if you don't take care of them so that you die. But your vital signs, there's some things that are essential, and there's some things that are non-essential. They're important, but they're not essential. And then there's some things that are just they're not as essential. You know? There's some things that people lose, it doesn't seem like it's that important, like the uh, tonsils. I don't know why it's not essential, but God gave it to me. I want to keep it as long as I can. My appendix. But I know if your appendix bursts, if you don't take care of that, you will die. Because it will eventually cause your heart to stop beating and you to stop breathing. It will, cause, it will eventually affect your vital signs. And I know there's some other vital things as well. But 
I'm trying to keep this simple for now. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a pastor. Okay? And so, there's good news. And, yes, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.24. But Jesus has justified us by His grace. That's the good news. Yes, we all sinned. Yes, we were all going to hell. We, none of us deserves heaven. None of us deserves salvation. None of us deserves mercy and grace. We all deserve hell. But Jesus was our propitiation, was our substitute. He came. He came. He died. He buried. He rose again. And He ascended so that we could be a child of God. So we could be born again. So we could be in right relationship with God. My next message I'm going to be teaching after this series is about the, being established in His righteousness. My primary teaching I teach in this church. And I got... I gotta move on, otherwise I'll preach it today, okay? But the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news of death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promises in Christ through the gospel. The gospel is the key. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the revelation of the mystery of Let's take this further. <coughs> Let's add on verse 7. Let's read it together. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister. A minister of what? The gospel. According to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Okay? Let's look at, let's look at verse 7 that I added on here in the King James. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Whereof I was made a minister. True ministers are made. Okay, I'm just going to go off on this for a moment because Paul making a point here. True ministers are not self-appointed. Are you hearing me? Some people need to hear this. Okay? We are not, we do not all have the five-fold ministry gifts. We all, if we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit. We all have gifts. But we are not all apostles. We are not all pastors and teachers, evangelists, prophets. And true ministers are made. They are not self-appointed. Okay? Paul did not appoint himself to be an apostle. He was appointed by God. Okay? Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the special working of his power. Okay? Let's take this one step further. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He was made a minister of this gospel of revealing this mystery to us. He was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. How are ministers made? They're not self-appointed. But then how are they made? The big question is how are they made? Ministers are made according to God's gifts, God's grace. We can't call ourselves into the ministry. We can't choose what gifts we operate in. Paul said in Corinthians, but one and the same spirit works all things as distributed to each one individually as he wills. There's a Sometimes the battle on that pronoun, whether it's a capital H or a lower H, 
I, 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 I study this all the time, and this is where I believe that that's a, the fit, what I believe I'm talking about, because he's the one giving it. He's the one administering it. It's his gift. Okay? And upon receiving God's call and anointing for service, there are things we must do. There's things that we have been ordained. There's something we have been gifted to do. Okay? For example, Ephesians 6, let's go back here again. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which we became a minister according to the effectual, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Okay? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Okay? Let's look at this real quick. The, the grace and God's call and anointing. Let's look at this just for a moment. We have to labor to receive the full benefit of God's grace and calling. But the labor is not to receive God's call, call and, and anointing. Okay? We, we don't labor to receive God's call and anointing. But once we receive it, we labor to receive the full benefit of God's grace and God's call. Okay? His call and anointing comes as a gift, grace first. And then we labor against the flesh so that we allow God's gift to flow through us unhindered. We receive God's gift and calling by grace, and then we work so that we operate by grace and not by the flesh. There have been times as a pastor that even though I've been called and gifted, I've operated in the flesh. And by operating in the flesh, I hindered God from working through me. Okay? We don't, we don't labor to receive God's call, but we labor to receive the full benefit and to, to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Okay? Paul talks a lot about this in, in the book of Galatians. Okay? Let's go back to, the, to, our, to, our, to our reading here. I want to pick it up verse 7. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Okay? Let's go to verse 8. To me, actually it's not a capital C here, it's just a PowerPoint capitalizes it, okay? Actually it is a capital C because there's a period here. By the effective work, working of his mighty power, I don't think there's a capital T anyway, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should be that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay? Now I could I could capitalize on this part a lot. Paul says I uh, the things that he went through he, he, were minor afflictions. You know, being stoned several times, left for dead, and all the different things he went through, he thought was light afflictions. We could also talk about how he was a persecutor of the church and now he, he's an apostle of the church. You know, and I'm not gonna focus on that so much right now. But to me, who am least less than least of all the place, this grace was given that I should preach. That's what I want to focus on. Why was this grace given? So that he would preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay? 
There's something that Paul, Paul was given a grace. He was given a call. He was given a gift to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Say this again. Paul was given this grace to preach to us the unsearchable riches of Christ. Are you following me? We're, we're, let me just recap real quick for a moment. We are trying to answer the question because we're talking about the four prayers of Paul. And he, he starts off the prayer by saying, For this reason I kneel before my Father. And he, in context he had just said, and everything I've been talking about so far in reading the context of this prayer, Paul was given this grace to preach to us the unsearchable riches of Christ. None of us have fully searched and understood to the fullness the riches of His grace. I believe many of us have tapped, have experienced it to a measure. If you didn't experience it to a measure, you wouldn't be born again. But so we have experienced it to a measure. But I don't believe any of us have fully, that's the operative word here, and search and understood the riches of his grace. In other words, Paul, I said this in the last prayer, and I say this in this prayer, there's something that Paul wants us to get. He, he, he commended them for their faith. He commended them for their love for one another. But there's more for us to understand. We can have a deeper relationship with God. Okay? Are you following me? Verse 9. And to make all see. So not only was he revealing, revealing to them the riches of God's grace. <coughs> me. But he wants to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Isn't that, isn't the one, haven't we been talking about this for three weeks now? Paul has been given this grace to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. Who created all things through Jesus Christ. I mean, this is just rich. The revelation of God's grace was given to Paul to give to us. We've established that. And I'm reestablishing that. And the mystery can only be known by divine revelation. We've been talking about that for the last three weeks. And the mystery can only come by the revelation of Christ. Paul said, again in Colossians, that this mystery would have been hidden from all ages, from generations. But now has been revealed to the saints, to them God wills to be made known what are the riches, the riches of His grace, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what are the riches of His grace? What is the riches of this mystery? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? He said the same thing. In Ephesians, in the prayer that we read that last two weeks, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ Father, glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches, again, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, again, that you understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I just repeated myself because I, I realized I had underlined this. Okay? Hopefully I'm making sense to you. Let me catch up with myself here. Verse 8. And going back to it. Paul has been given this grace. 
so that he can preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, the mystery God has invested into us is the riches of Christ. God has invested something, and it's the richness of Christ. Most of us would not be experiencing and not experiencing the things that we, 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 we most of us would be experiencing more of God's grace in our life, in our ministry, if we understood the riches of His grace. We would also be preventing more of those things if we understood the riches of Christ. And Paul, with all his purpose, the reason he kneels, the reason he's saying all this, because he's been called as an apostle to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. God, and I'm, I'm telling you a lot of different things. I hope you get in my heart. I hope, more importantly, I hope you're hearing Paul's heart. God wants everyone to see this mystery. It's been a mystery for ages. But it's not a mystery anymore if you are willing to see it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we're answering this question, what reason is Paul praying this prayer that we're going to get into next week? Paul wants everyone to see this mystery. And when you understand this mystery, you will understand this prayer. Okay? To the intent that now the manifold, he's in verse 10, the, to, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church. To whom? The principalities and powers in heavy places. We're going to dissect this verse a little bit. The church was a mystery. The whole idea of the church was a mystery in the Old Testament. Paul has been saying this, not only in this prayer, but also in the last prayer, and he's been saying it in other, other books as well. The church itself is a mystery, because Christ is in his church. He's the head, we're the body. Christ, the church, is a mystery. Okay? In the New Testament, Every detail of this mystery is intended to be fully revealed. It's a manifold wisdom of God. This grace, the church, is a matter, it's a manifold wisdom of God. And Paul, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Word, wants them all, everyone to know. It wants, God wants it to be known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God. And the church, once we know this revelation, it's our job as a church to make it known to all principalities and power in heavenly places. Okay? There's my highlight. I need to follow my own, my own trail here. Okay? We have a job at the church, but we can't make something known to principalities and powers if we don't know it ourselves. If we don't understand it ourselves. If it's still mysterious to us, we cannot make that mystery known to our principalities and powers. Let's look at this principalities and powers. Paul mentions this phrase three times in this letter. Once in the last prayer, he mentions it before this prayer, and he'll mention it again in chapter 6, and he's mentioned it in other places like Colossians. Let's look at this real quick. Let's go back to last week's prayer. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ... This Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. 
the eyes of understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling on the riches of the glory of his inheritance and saints. When you know these things, when you know the hope of his calling, when you know the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints, when you know what is the seeming greatness of his power, he talked about those three things the last two weeks, towards us, according to the working of his mighty power, when he worked, when she worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. That's the gospel! This, this grace has been revealed to us by the gospel. At his right hand in heavenly places. There's our word heavenly places again. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in that which is to come. There's another age coming. Okay. <coughs> and he put all things under his feet. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Which is his body. We sometimes have extrapolated this part from his prayer. But Paul's been saying something very significant about the church. In the last prayer, he's been saying something very in context in this prayer. And he's been saying it throughout all of his prayers. Because the church is part of the mystery. It's Christ in you. But where's Christ? In his church. Who's the church? The body of Christ. Who is in you? I know it's complex because it's a mystery. And it can only be revealed to you, not by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit of God. And he, He's given us a, a calling, an inheritance, a power, so far above all principalities and powers. And He has put all things under, He's given authority to His church, which is His body, the fullness of Him. We're going to talk about the fullness in verse 19 of this prayer. But I want to have the fullness of God. Not just part of it. Not a religious form. Not a fake. Not a counterfeit. Not an insignificant. I want the fullness of God. The fullness of Christ. Go back to verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known. Not just to the, the church. But to the principalities by the church. In heavenly places. The mystery of the church is to be fully revealed to demonic powers. Who's the church? The body of Christ. Where's, what's the mystery? Christ in you, the church. And there's something that you, the church, has. There's something that, that God has put underneath your feet. And that's all principalities and powers. Christ's church is like a church city on a hill. He said this in Matthew, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Paul said that the intent now of the manifold wisdom of God. Why is he kneeling and praying? Because he wants us to understand the manifold wisdom of God so that we, the church, can make known the power of, might be known by the church to all principalities and powers in heavenly places. He, prayed, he says the same thing in Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Where are they? In heavenly places. Sometimes we think heavenly places just represents heaven. Well, I, I know for sure that principalities and powers of darkness are not in heaven. And we have the manifold wisdom to make known the the manifold wisdom of God by the church 
to principalities and powers in heavenly places. It's the same thing he's going to say six, three verses later, three chapters later, in what we call the armor of God. The church is to instruct the demonic realm, the manifold wisdom of God. And how is this done? It's done by the church to principalities and powers. I don't think that's the only thing we're doing. I think we're also preaching the gospel to the world. To the, even to the church. We're being reminded of the manifold wisdom of God. Jesus said this way in John 16, never though, just before, before he went to the cross, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is not for your advantage to, that, I'm sorry, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, the helper has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 19 again, chapter 1. And what we are to know, we are to understand, we are to behold. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of, in heavenly places, far above the, de the devil, the demonic, the principality powers are not above you, they are beneath you. You have been placed far above all principalities and powers. We should not be afraid of the devil, the devil should be afraid of us. We're the church of Jesus Christ and might, might and dominion. And when we understand this, we can understand the prayer in Ephesians 3.20 to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or think according to the power that is at work in you. We'll get there next week. Okay? Let's go to verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. We're not, uh, the church is not operating absent of God. The, uh, does your body go walking around without your head? No, we are the body of Christ. We are the church and we have authority, but it's not us, it's Christ in us that has authority. It's our head that has authority. It's our head that is speaking. I don't know about you, but my body doesn't usually speak. My mouth speaks, and my mouth is part of my head. I can go real deep into this anatomy. Some of us need to take biology again. Okay? But Ephesians 3.10 says, To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to principality powers in heavenly places. Christ put all principalities and powers underneath his feet. The church is the body of Christ. Christ has put all principalities and powers underneath his church. The church is to instruct the demonic realm, the manifold wisdom of God. And as we walk in power and victory, Jesus provided, we are to constantly show Satan the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? I'm glad you asked. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. Paul's combining those two under one body. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. We're supposed to remind principality and powers of Jesus. Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Far above all principalities and powers. We have Jesus. Hallelujah. Gentiles did not become Jews. That's not the mystery of the gospel. Jews and Gentiles became part of the body of Christ. And Christ's church is the body of Christ. And the gospel is the wisdom of God. And the church is to preach the gospel to Satan. Not that Satan can be saved, but to tell Satan, you have already been judged. To the world we're preaching, the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin because they don't believe in him. To us, they're reminding us of our righteousness. But to the devil, we are reminding him of the gospel that he is already judged. Colossians says it this way. Paul wrote Colossians. In him, who's him? Jesus. You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus had already made a spectacle of the devil. And we, the church, are to smoother that in his face and remind him that he has already become a spectacle. He is nothing. He's already been triumphed over. And the only way Satan can... The devil, demons can work in your life is to deceive you that this and everything I'm trying to teach today is not true. The devil does not have authority and power. Jesus, your king, your Lord, gave you authority. And is Jesus your Lord or is Satan your Lord? Satan has been defeated. He is a defeated foe. He might deceive you thinking that he is strong, that he can do things. But no, your king has given you authority and he has put all things underneath your feet and your scepter, according to the book of Hebrews, is righteousness. Okay? Ephesians 3.10 To the intent, now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principality and powers in heavenly places. We need the revelation knowledge of the Holy Spirit to grasp God's infinite wisdom. We need a revelation understanding of what we have in Christ. It takes a divine revelation to understand this. Paul was praying we understand this revelation. Uh, that's why he's saying all these things I'm trying to preach today for this reason. I bow to my Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins to pray. Let's go back real quick to verse 19 of chapter 1, the verse prayer. And what is the seeming greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power 
and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all things, he put all things, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. The, his body, the church, is the fullness of him who fills all. The church, his body, is the fullness of Jesus. Jesus is not complete without his body. Is your body complete without your body? Is your head complete without your body? Jesus is not. Jesus has chosen. God has chosen himself not to be complete without the fullness of the body. Okay. After we read this, I'm going to go forward. Let's read this again in context of the next verses. To the intent that by now, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to principality and powers in heavenly places, comma, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? Having made known to us, let's go back real quick. I'm getting going too fast. Paul is now talking about how this, all of this authority that we have over the, over the principalities and powers, the, of the manifold wisdom of God, that we're supposed to make known, okay, is according to, according to what authority? According to the eternal purpose of God. Everything I'm trying to convey to you this morning, if you're understanding it, is the eternal purpose which God, he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Going back to verse 9. We talked about this the last two weeks. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Okay? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one, the church, all things in Christ. Okay? Both which are in heaven, which are on the earth in him. In other words, I said this last two weeks. God is bringing everything together under the Lordship of Christ. This has always been God's plan and purpose. And those who do not make Jesus preeminent and Lord are entirely out of focus of the eternal purpose of God. Okay? John said it this way, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For the church to make known the wisdom of God to all principalities and powers is the eternal John 14, Jesus said this way, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than he, and these he will do, because I go to the Father. I don't know about you, but this verse has a lot more meaning to me when I understand what I would, we just preached. God's plan of redemption was not an afterthought of man's sin. Christ was slain for the foundation of the world. Revelation, Jesus said this way, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life and the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Acts said it this way, Luke said it this way in the book of Acts, All who dwell on the earth, uh, known to him from eternity, are all his works. God promised eternal life before time ever began, before there ever was sin. God promised eternal life. In Titus, Paul says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Peter says it this way, he indeed was for 
foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Again, we said last week, blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, where? In Christ. According to, as his as children in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Again, going back to Ephesians 3. This whole manifold wisdom of God, the mystery of his grace, is according to the eternal purpose of God. This is not an afterthought because of man of sin. This was always. God doesn't have a plan B. He only has a plan A. And this has always been the eternal purpose of God. The plan of redemption was God's eternal purpose. It's eternal. So nothing natural can destroy it. Nothing natural can interfere with it. It's an eternal purpose of God. <clears throat> Going back to Corinthians real quick. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. I mean, I'm giving you so many scriptures. This is not an afterthought. This was always the plan of God. It's called, that's why... And it says even in Corinthians, if the if devil had known this was God's eternal purpose, they would not have crucified the King of Glory. Jesus being crucified was the eternal purpose of God. The devil thought it was his best day. And that, it's the cross that made a spectacle of Satan. It's the cross that proved that Satan is judged. Okay. Going back to Ephesians, according to the eternal purpose of God, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence to faith in him. A lot of us have been asking for boldness. And, and we have boldness and access and confidence to faith in him. If this doesn't give you boldness and confidence, your wood's still wet. Okay? I don't know about you, but this is just awesome. We can approach our God with boldness and confidence. Paul, we're getting to the beginning of Paul's prayer here in just two more verses. And Paul is bold. Paul is confident about what he preaches and what he prays. Because he knows who he is in Christ. And God has provided a great salvation for all of us. Paul was taking full advantage of his access to the Father, even while he was in prison, writing this letter and writing this prayer. According to the eternal purpose of God, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus on our, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access. We, how do we have boldness? Where do you get it? In Jesus. You've got the whole kingdom. You've got the kingdom of all kingdoms on the inside of you. If you knew what you had, you don't need boldness. You need a revelation. The boldness and the access is, is the, the byproduct. Okay? We can have confidence. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul was so blessed in God's presence. He could not allow others to be bothered by his imprisonment because there's a greater message here. There's a greater, there's a, the eternal purpose of God is taking place. We don't need to get 
bothered by the little stuff. We need to be about our Father's business. Paul was so blessed in God's mystery. Not only in his presence, but also he was so blessed in God's mystery that he could not be bothered, allow others to be bothered by his imprisonment, his light affliction. If we appropriate what is ours in Christ, we can overcome any problem on earth. David said it this way, If I ascend to, into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. That one I can't so fully understand how he's in hell, but he's everywhere. Okay? We can approach our God with boldness and confidence. Paul's purpose in this prayer I said at the beginning that Paul desired that they would not be discouraged because of the things happening to him. And he follows that desire with a prayer for their strength and their fullness. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm wrapping this up. I'm bringing this to a conclusion for today. We're going to go into the prayer next week. But I want to take, before I leave, before I depart for you today, I want to capitalize on this phrase here, I bow my knees. I want to just take a look at this real quick. Let's talk about kneeling. Let's talk about being on our knees. Kneeling is an attitude of worship. Kneeling is an attitude of reverence. I mean, if when you get this revelation that we have, aren't you just in awe? It, it's, a, it's an attitude of adoration. It's an attitude of praise. Okay. Go further. Okay. It's an attitude. But it's also a posture. But there's also other postures in Scripture. We'll look at those in just a second. But kneeling is a posture. You see Solomon knelt before the altar. You'll see that Ezra fell on his knees to pray. You'll see that Daniel prayed on his knees. You'll see that Jesus knelt to pray in the garden. You'll see that Peter kneeled to pray for Dorcas. When Paul was about ready to go to Rome, the, the, his followers kneeled down and prayed with him in Ephesus in Acts 20. And you find this again with other disciples in Acts 21. They all knelt down in the dirt and prayed together. We are instructed to come and bow down to worship our King. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God. Scripture prophesies every knee will bow to him. In Philippians, Paul writes that all the, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth. Isaiah says, I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Prayer is a posture. It includes kneeling, but don't make don't make this a mandate because prayer also includes standing. Prayer also includes lying prostrate. Prayer is also uh, uh, lifting up your holy hands without doubt or without wrath, without wrath or without doubting. I'm talking that verse up. But prayer is also accompanied by some things. I want to go through this real quick. I'm, I'm almost done. Prayer is accompanied by fasting. Prayer is accompanied by forgiving one another. Prayer is accompanied by agreement. Prayer is accompanied by faith. 
Prayer is accompanied by respecting your spouse. Peter talks about that. We don't think about that sometimes. Prayer is accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Prayer is accompanied by the laying on of hands. And we are encouraged to pray, always. We are encouraged to pray in the day of trouble. We are encouraged to pray in the day, and to pray constantly. We are encouraged to pray in everything. We are encouraged to pray at all times in the Spirit. We are encouraged to pray when suffering. We are encouraged to pray in tongues. We are encouraged to pray for our enemies. We are encouraged to pray for those who harm us. Those two are out sometimes. We are encouraged to pray for those who persecute us. We are encouraged to pray for our brother who sins. And most of us point fingers instead of praying for them. We are supposed to pray for our friends. We are supposed to pray for others to receive the Holy Spirit in Acts 8.15. We're supposed to pray for him. We are encouraged to pray for laborers to be sent out of the harvest. You want a loved one to be saved? Pray for laborers to go to the harvest. Pray for all the saints. Okay? For this reason, I bow my knees in the Father. He's our Father. He's our Father. He's also our Lord, our Savior. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're going to take a lot more look at this next week when we get into this prayer. Paul pray that we would be granted spiritual strength by the Spirit in verse 16. That he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the Spirit and the man. He prayed that you would, Christ might make his home, his abode in your hearts by faith. I started out with this thing. I want to end with this. And we'll pick up here next week. In verse 17, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul also prayed that through being through being rooted and grounded in love, we may comprehend or get a revelation knowledge. We see this in verse 17 and 18 of this prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. There's unity here, there's the church. What is the width and length and depth and height? Paul also prayed that by experiencing Christ's love, we would be filled with the fullness of God. That's one of my favorite verses to know in the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he concludes the prayer with this thing that we, this part of the prayer that most of us quote all the time. When you understand everything else in this chapter so far in this prayer, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that, and I love the King James of work. Look at this next week. That is at work. It's still working. And it's in us. To Him be glory. Where? In the church that we've been talking about. By Christ Jesus. To all generations. That includes this generation. Forever and ever. Amen. So be it. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, my Lord Jesus. We've been looking at this prayer. And we're going to be looking at this prayer more intently next week as we are looking at these four prayers of Paul. And in following which we will go to talk about the other prayers. Hopefully this has blessed you. Hopefully you got some things out of this. I know we didn't talk much about the prayer today, but we talked a lot about things that prelude this prayer. The second prayer in the same letter to the, to the church in Ephesus. 
God bless you. We will see you tonight at 6 o'clock here at Pacific Standard Time as we talk about effortless change from the book by, written by Andrew Womack. God bless you guys and have a great day.